0: You know, the exchange between God and Solomon in that dream recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3 is one of the most fascinating accounts in history because he tells Solomon, what do you want? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Think about that for a moment. What would you say if God asked you right now, what do you want? I'll give you anything you ask for. (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's good that is good we didn't plan that we didn't plan that I didn't stage that I didn't stage that he did that all on his own okay <laughs> but think, think how some of us actually don't want to answer that because it compromises our relationship with God the things that we think about if God were to give us anything we wanted, we believe even ourselves, as we filter, filter that through our relationship with God, we say, man, my wish is compromise. Because it's related to probably more money. It's related to probably something that we personally really desire and want that would bring fame to ourselves, that would make us more popular, that would have some sort of negative effect when we put it through the filter of what God would want for us. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 5 to verse 9 as they go through this process. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and I will, give you, I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on, on his throne. Now, O oh Lord, my God you have made me king instead of my father david but i am like a little child who doesn't know his his way around and here i am in the midst of your own chosen people a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted give me a give me an understanding heart so that i can go- govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong for for who by my for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. So Solomon responds to God, I I just want to be able to do right by you. Give me the wisdom that it takes to run this vast kingdom. And God is pleased by it. God is so pleased by it that he not only throws wisdom in there, he doubles down and throws like riches and, and, and all kinds of wealth through Solomon because he's so pleased by his response. In 1 Kings uh, verse 10 to 13, it says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for the wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or 10 more wishes, no, I'm just kidding, "or, or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or even will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for riches and fame. It's dangerous. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So Solomon gets riches and fame. And then we learn a valuable lesson from what we read here today. We see God giving Solomon more than what he asked for. And when we look at the life of Solomon, that, that song by Biggie Smalls, "More Money, More Problems, becomes like a real issue here. Because it really has an effect. Listen, I, I, that's not in the Bible. I get it. I'm just saying. And, and it's sad because most of us try to look at our lives and say, we need more. We get up every morning and go to work the next day because we feel like we need more. We want to seek the promotion at work because we want more. And we live our lives more time. We need more time, more resources, more money, more house, more cars, more this, more that. And somehow we have told ourselves that only through more will we find satisfaction for our souls. I've always lived by this principle. Not always. Later in life I learned this, that... There's two ways to get enough in life. You could continue to accumulate more and more and store it all up. Or you could just simply desire less. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. Does it not? Well, you could keep grabbing stuff and accumulating more. Look at it this way. Owning less means you don't have to organize as more, as much. Apply that principle to life. Maybe I'm desiring too much. More is not always the answer, however, when more comes our way, I'm a firm believer that it's because God knew that you were ready for it. You're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You just said, more money, more problems. For one reason or another, when more comes our way, you and I are ready for it. Forget money, blessings, gifting. You wake up the next morning and you're in the shower and you're singing like an angel, you were ready for it. God is giving you that gift for one reason or another, you were ready for it, in one sense or the other. So... Never do I believe that God's timing is off. And when we say the timing was bad, we're contradicting God. You understand how that works? You're like, well, I'm not doing it on purpose. But think about it. If you are a person of faith, and you acknowledge God and His involvement in your life, when things fall out of a timeline according to your anticipation, you're kind of offset with God a little bit. You know, I've always followed this rule of thumb in my life that if anything good happens in my life, it was God that did it. And anything bad that happens in my life, Moses did it. So if I get up here and you didn't like something I said, Moses did it. If something really good happened, God did it. Live my life by that rule. I'm the obstacle in this relationship. It is literally, it's not you, it's me. People like to do the opposite. When things go bad, people play the victim. And when things go well, people like to play God. I did it. I'm just good. You know? This principle is important for us today because we have to be ready to understand that we're constantly asking God for breakthrough in our lives, in one way or another, through prayer, healing, whatever the case may be. We're constantly asking God for breakthrough or for something to happen. And my question to you today, this morning, will be is like, if the breakthrough were to take place, would you be ready for it? Are you ready to experience the healing power of God? Would you be ready to handle the blessing that God's got coming your way? Would you know what to do with the job and the promotion? Would you know what to do with the finances? Are you ready for what you're praying and asking for? You know, my dad, he had an issue with his knee. And he would always ask God, God, heal me from this knee. Heal me from this knee. This knee problem is killing. God, you need to do something about this knee. Why do I have to walk around? And why do I have to do this? And one day I remember it. He came out of his room, freaked out. I said, what's wrong, dad? He said, God just gave me a vision of me without a knee problem. And apparently it wasn't a pretty sight. I didn't ask any details. But some... for one reason or another, take it for what it's worth. My dad wasn't ready for that. He had faith in it, and I'm sure he's good now. His knee is good now. But it's important for us to understand that the things happening and not happening in our lives are not necessarily because God is not listening. It may be because we're just not ready for it. When God revealed himself to Solomon in a dream, he woke up with a gift of wisdom, greater than any man on earth. In one night, his life was completely changed, turned upside down. He was a completely different person. Are we ready for that? We say it in prayer that we want it, but are we ready for it? So my question and where I want to dive into is like, okay, if Solomon was ready because he got it, God's timing is perfect. What did he do when he received it? Because maybe this gives us a, a clear view on what God needs to do in our lives and what process we need to go through to understand what that gift is supposed to be used for when we get it. You guys following me here? So we see his reaction when he gets the gift. The first thing Solomon does when he gets this gift and wakes up the next morning is he worships God. 1 Kings 3.15, it says, Then Solomon woke up, realized it, has been, it had been a dream, which that, that verse kind of troubled me because it's almost saying, like, it was just a dream, you know? So, but no. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. You see that? So he wakes up, super smart, you know, like, like the Matrix, you know? I know Kung Fu, you know, like... And And he goes on to, you know, he says, I need to be thankful to God. So he was in the city called Gibeon, and then he returns to Jerusalem to worship God. And immediately, this new divine wisdom from God drives Solomon to the presence of God. It's like a magnet to Solomon. His divine wisdom pushes him to God's presence. You know, you you ever hear the reasons of someone tell you the first few reasons of someone looking for a new job? They're usually self-beneficial reasons. I'll have more time. I won't have to work as hard. It's easier in that department. We're usually a little off. What we see Solomon here doing is that hardly do we ever receive something from God and we know instantly what to do with it. The gift usually requires some sort of wisdom to execute. A wiser person after God's own heart is one who consults God even when things are at their best. In other words, our instinct should be to stand before God to consult Him and seek Him even more after we've received a blessing from Him. People receive blessings from God and it drives a wedge between them and God because they finally got what they wanted. And instead, what we see Solomon is the first thing he does is thank you for the wisdom. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you a burnt offering. You may not be as ready as you think you are. I, I love this. I always remember this and I'll never forget it. Bash was being born in one room. Rosie and I have bracelets for the room next door. We didn't have family members present. It was just me and her. Family members were texting and we were just like, we don't know what's going to happen. Rosie's in the room. The delivery is happening. The baby's born and they roll him into our room. And we're standing there fully clothed. And this baby just gets rolled in there. And the nurse says, congratulations, closes the door. And we're like, what do we do now? Am I supposed to take my shirt off or something like that? (laughs) You remember, we laid in the hospital bed and we're like, "Um, so here he is. (laughs) You think you're ready for something until you're not. The only one that knows what you're ready for is God. See, that baby gets rolled in there and I'm like, I'm not ready for this. God is like, yes, you are. And And then we have to figure that process out. But you may think you're ready for your gifting until you're not. He went before God and our search for divine wisdom must always lead us to the secret place of our intimacy with God. There's no divine wisdom without coming before God. There's no divine wisdom without a divine presence. Wisdom is cultivated in our place of intimacy with God. Therefore, nothing should draw us closer to God than the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. It gets deeper, not shallower. That relationship builds and becomes stronger. It's a step forward, not not backwards. Only fools get what they want and drive themselves away from God. Proverbs 3, 7, 8, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be healthy to your flesh and strength to your bones. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Our benefit in this relationship, our giftings, our blessings, the things that we pray for are meant to draw us closer to oppressors, not away from it. To build a stronger relationship, not a weaker one. Solomon received from God and ran to worship him. To ask for more wisdom. Crazy, right? He received all the wisdom. And he still, the first step he does is he goes to God with it. Number two, he honors the ones around him. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, in that same verse, in the bottom of the verse, he says, Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. The second act Solomon performed after receiving divine wisdom is a dream. After receiving the, the, the divine wisdom in a dream was that he had a feast and invited people working for him. Catch this. Because the worst thing we can do when we get to the top is forget of those people who got us there in the first place or help us to get there in the first place. Success should always drive us to honor the people around us who have helped us to accomplish what we finally accomplished. The second principle is a leadership principle here, fellas. Listen to me. I, it, it, listen to this quote There's no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it's because someone will succeed after you. It's all connected. It's all connected. The worst thing to see is people that grow in relationship with God and think that the next step in that is to separate themselves from other people in order to continue to grow. And it actually has the opposite effect because you as an individual were built for community. Yes, the easiest thing is to go home and be by yourself. To lock yourself in a room and do what you like to do. Of course. I'm a pastor, I talk to a bunch of people. That's not always the best thing I wanna do. Seriously, no offense. I love people, but I mean, sometimes I just want to be left alone. That hardly ever happens. But it's the truth. It shouldn't drive us to be loners or away from people around us. Rather, it should create in us a desire to honor those who who work with us. It should love to celebrate other people. Philippians 2, 3 to 4, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest on others too. Solomon was the wisest guy. He didn't need to invite anybody. I got it from here. No, he has a feast with all his people. You know, when, when God fills you with his divine wisdom, like in the case of Solomon or, or, or some level of success in life, it should help us to open our eyes and realize how much we need each other. Because we recognize that God has given to us every person in our lives as an accommodation. They got wisdom, maturity, experience, gift, talents. We can't turn that down. I thought I was married to my wife because we like things and we're similar to each other. We're not. We're still together 15 years later because we're strong in our differences. It's not because we like the same Netflix show. Even though we still sometimes do, sometimes. It's our differences that keep us together and make us stronger. It's the complementation of one another's characters. The same is true with friendships. It's not necessarily people that aren't exactly like us who are going to drive us forward. This wisdom drives us to learn from one another and honor one another. And godly wisdom will always prompt us to look at the interests and qualities of other people around us. I love the way a missionary said it once to us. She said, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. We could accomplish so much more. I am thankful for the team here at GLC. I tell you why. As a pastor, I am blessed that the leadership team serves and fulfills their call through our ministry because I am clear in the fact that I don't own their call. You follow me? They are people assigned to the ministry by God to fulfill a call that they've been specifically called to that me as a pastor I don't own. I just benefit from it. It is humbling, and I am grateful, forever thankful. Don't underestimate the people around you. You know, putting others down so you can succeed is always short-lived. If that's what you need to do in life, putting the next person next to you down in order for you to elevate or seem more relevant or more impactful, then, man, that's very short-lived. You're going to run eventually out of options, and, and it's just going to be you. Number three, he executed a situation wisely. In other words, the proof is in the pudding, Right? At some point, you got to put this thing to work. You can go worship God. You can thank everybody around you. But eventually, the blessing and the gifting from God in your life has to be put to work. It has to show fruit. It has to be seen. It has to begin to witness. The intent of that fulfillment has to show up. God gave it to you, not just so you could sit with it, he gave it to you so it could be impactful in one way or the other. And think about it. I, I, I could preach a sermon, but I don't. All right, then what's the point of my gifting? Any sort of gifting, financially, if it's your financial position only beneficial to you. Think about it. There has to come a point in our lives where the gifting and the blessing from God get put to work. I, I st- I, it's so difficult for me to see people that sit around and waste their gifting. People that are incredible musicians, people that sing, people that do so many amazing things that are great at managing others. And, and they, they're, they're analytical and they're able to look at processes and, and see flows. They're, that they're nice to people, that they just have this charisma. And somehow they just tell themselves, I just, I'm not ready for it. It has to be used to accomplish God's will in your life. At some point, we got to put it to work. It can't be a dormant gift forever. This is what Solomon did, which is a crazy story, by the way. Verse 16 to 28. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to to, to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my Lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was in with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We're just popping babies. Um, we were alone. There were only two of us in the house, but her baby died during the night when she rolled over it. Then she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her, she laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning, when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted, I certainly was, it certainly was your son and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. And so they began to argue back and forth before the king. What a horrible situation. Man, this is some Old Testament stuff right here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so then, then, then we see this wisdom come up. And King Solomon said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the child, the living child is yours. And even says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king, and then he said, cut the living child in two, and I'll give half of one to the one and half of the child to the other. Like, that's kind of drastic. Then the woman who was the real mother of the child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh, no, Lord, give her the child. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, All right, cut him in half. Divide it between the two of us. Then the king said, don't kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is the mother. When all Israel heard the king's decisions, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. And I want to kind of break a a quick segment here. Is it? This judgment brought a deep respect for Solomon over all Israel. His gifting, when put to work, was meant to be a witness to the entire people of Israel. See, we we think that our gifting is only for us. And sometimes it's only beneficial for us. What if God has blessed you because you're meant to make an impact beyond yourself, beyond your family, beyond the things that surround you? that are close connected to you. We learn from this judgment that wisdom is not meant to kill life, it's meant to protect life. Listen here, in scripture, the passage, Solomon had no desire to kill this child. His goal was to know the true mother. The child's life was at the center of the judgment, no, not the speeches of the woman. In this case, divine wisdom will always urge us to emphasize the protection of life. What do I mean by this? Relational life, social life, married life, personal life, family life, etc. God is looking for us in our wisdom to have better relationships with others. He's not looking to destroy our lives. He's looking to build our lives. Better relationships with one another. My marriage is better because God is at the center. There were moments in my life where Rosie and I had one thing in common our faith. And that's all we could turn to. She wasn't right. And neither was I, but the Bible was to both of us. And that's what we went back to. The disagreements still remain. We looked at each other and said, this is what's true. Can we just go to it? You agree. And I agree. Let's go there. And we've always found solutions to our problems. Peace for our marriage and our relationship has been better because of it. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us whether the woman who lied was judged or punished for her life because the emphasis was not on the killing of a life. It was actually on the living aspect of that life. We also learn from this judgment that wisdom is not there to listen to speeches or ramblings or anything like that. It's looking for a heart motive. What's in here? Really what happened there is not what the women were able to say, is within their feelings of their heart the truth came out. It wasn't what they were able to say, it was what they were able to feel, and that eventually came out. I I, I love the idea that I won't get into that because I gotta get going. I, I you know. Sorry. You know, the expression of our gifts must be displayed now. I tell you that again? You are gifted because you're supposed to be using that now in one way or another. But how? I I haven't done this in so long. But God gave it to you and put you in the position for a reason. Therefore, in one way or another, you're ready. Solomon put this new wisdom to work right away. He didn't wait for the specific opportunity in case, you know, in case something will come his way. No, no. So my question to you today is, what are you waiting for? Ask yourself this question. I know what I've been blessed with. I know what God has done for my life. What am I waiting for personally? I'm not going to ask you to write that on a paper and turn it into me. But we know God did not give us this too early. Friends, you can't argue results. People saw the wisdom that had been given. But sadly in life, when we don't understand something, we tend to have the same approach the Pharisees did. The Pharisees had only one problem in Scripture. For all their discussions about the right techniques, they harvest very little fruit. In fact, one untrained Galilean had borne more fruit in a few months than all the Pharisees in their entire generation. That made them jealous. And they couldn't understand why these things were happening. They began to get angry. They were condescending. So they dealt with Jesus by ignoring his results and insulting his methods. It was hard to understand. So they said, the results are what they are, but you're doing it wrong. You can't argue results. Your gifting will have fruit. It will have an impact. You can't argue results. You can argue methods. You can argue timing. But you cannot argue results. Don't be a Pharisee with your life or with the lives of others around you. Just because you can't understand what has taken place for your life does not mean that God isn't involved in the timing of it. Are you guys hearing me? Sadly, in the story, we see God's gifting slowly became Solomon's trap with the fame and fortune that he came at the wrong friends and corrupted influences and... That thing, those things slowly pulled Solomon away from God. Um, he began to build houses of worship to false gods and have multiple wives, and he angered God slowly and slowly and drifted away from his love in God and in the God of Israel. What do we take from this? That God is a good, good Father, and He desires to bless us and give us and give us talents, only if we humble ourselves and serve Him. See, the enemy is looking for opportunities to destroy you. Because we know that if our talent is that great, then there's a benefit for him to keep you down. And if he's able to keep you down, he's doing more harm than if he goes out and kills someone. Because you're not using the talents that God has given you to accomplish the work that he sent you to accomplish. And the enemy's winning. winning. So what gifts has God given you? What are you using those things for? You know, you're you're like Moises. You're comparing us to Solomon, man. He had all the wisdom. He knew exactly what to do. The New Testament also talks about Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus says, now someone greater than Solomon is here. but you refuse to listen. See friends, we have a, we have a listening problem. You know, our, our, ears, our ears don't have lids like our eyes do. Can't close them. Stuff is going in there. You know, when, when, when the Bible, when the parable of the, of the soils, it, it says that when you do the percentage equation, of the people listening to me right now aren't going to listen. Only 25% of the people listening. It's a listening problem. Someone greater than Solomon is here. But we just refuse to listen. We just refuse to acknowledge who he is, what he stands for, how involved he is in our lives, how true he is to one of us. What are you doing with what you have been giving? You need to do what's next. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. The problem is, one greater than Solomon is here. Do you believe that? Is your gift tied to a blessing from God? Do you believe that your talent truly is unique enough given to you personally by God to be put to work now? There can't be a disconnect because then you're the 75%. Are you listening? Solomon received, he worshiped, honored, and acted. What are we waiting for? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just I thank you, God, for the opportunity that you give us to worship you this morning once again, God. Lord, uh, I I say it time and time and again, but we're a room full of unworthy individuals, people that don't deserve your grace and your mercy. And yet, every time we think this way, we're faced with the cross and what you did for us and the blood that you shed and how you somehow has, have decided to, to, to pick us for such a time as this, God. I pray, Lord, that you will spark this room with purpose, that your talents will be clear, that your giftings will be known, that your blessings would be true. Undeniable involvement and purpose from you, God, is what I pray for that this room would be uncomfortable with your involvement in their lives, to know that you're there, to know that you're more involved than we give you credit for. God, your word says that you're even greater than Solomon, but that we may be refusing to listen. So God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need to put to work the plan that you have given us the giftings that you have given us, to put to work those talents that you have poured into our lives for the better of your kingdom, God. I understand, God, that this world isn't on my shoulders, but God, you have selected me to do something. And God, we want to honor you and actually work for you and do what you have called us to do. Lord, I pray that that spark be in this room that people will be moved to activate maybe a dormant talent so that your blessing can continue to pour and even more than they would imagine would be present for their lives. I pray for every need in the room, every life in the room, God. And I pray that you would be with them, that you would touch their hearts now and that they would receive something from you that's special and unique that will glorify your name. Thank you, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.